0: Hi, and welcome to the Mark for Glory podcast, episode number 22. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Hi, Mark. I'm great. How are you? (laughs) That sounded a bit robotic, but okay, we'll keep it. Really? (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, today we have a very special guest who I've known for quite a while when I reached out to the Huntington's... uh, I'm just trying to do some uh walk run for Huntington's disease. I managed to contact her and uh, she's she's a yoga practitioner who helps people with Huntington's and a taxi and other stuff like that. So what do you say we uh, go ahead and take a listen on that episode? Let's do it. please remember to like and subscribe so that you can be notified when we drop future videos like this. Hey, Natalie, good to see you. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I know you're pretty busy.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, no worries. I think um, I was saying in the intro that I've known you for a couple of years now. Um, I had Early on in my journey, I was just trying to get out and do different walks to like and walks slash runs to support people. And I was uh, working on the Huntington's one, and someone said I should reach out to you, and that's how we got in contact. I think that was like maybe five or six years ago.
1: Yeah, I was the volunteer coordinator for the runs for the Toronto chapter for a while. Um, but um, didn't put the whole thing together. I just coordinated all the volunteers for a bit. <laughs> so yeah, and now it's virtual. So it's been a bit different, Not a lot less volunteers needed.
0: Right. And then um, we reconnected because uh, my taxi as support group, uh, I was looking for speakers and I thought of you and we reconnected and found out a whole lot more about Huntington. So I think we, spoke for about an hour and a half on that topic, so. I was-
1: yeah, that was my first uh, Taxia support group. You invited me, and then from your support group, I was invited to speak at uh, several others, Jody's, um, uh, Howard uh, Silverman, I think, in, um, is he in uh, Nevada. He's in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's in Yeah, he's in Nevada. Um, and then I got to meet Mike DeRosa, and all the other fun players you've had on the podcast. So I'm excited to be here. I just watched uh, your interview with Elizabeth Boss because I adore her. And I just, yeah, I just, I think what you're doing is amazing.
0: Thanks. Um, So why don't we start at the beginning that's usually a good place to start. (laughs) Tell us a bit about your background, like uh, younger Natalie, what was she like? Oh, you want to go that far back?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And okay, so you want to go to Natalie up- before yoga or Natalie after Na- yoga?
0: Before yoga, and what was your upbringing like? What was life like for
1: you? Oh, okay. Well, this is gonna ahead, dark, quick. Um, <laughs> So my upbringing was, I guess, very chaotic. I lived in a family. Uh, we lived in a house with, like, 13 people. I lived with my grandparents. We were, like, the multi-generational house Um and, uh, when I was growing up, I really didn't have any aims. I was not, let's say an ideal kid or student. Like I was very rebellious. I got in trouble all the time. I got suspended from school. Um, yeah, it wasn't. Um, and so, and then, and I had a long history of depression. So I think around 12 or 13 was like when I started to really have like deeper thoughts of suicide and things got really dark until my early twenties, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of my upbringing was like very poor. Um, I had a lot of people that loved me, but like my parents had a very volatile marriage. um We lived in kind of chaos back and forth. And uh, eventually my mom ended up leaving my dad, and I went to go live with my mom. And then shortly after that, my mom got diagnosed with Huntington's disease. So, and, and my grandfather, we live with my grandfather who was also sick. So, I always grew up with kind of sick people around me. So he was diagnosed at like 40. So I only knew him being symptomatic where he would shake and tremors and have funny walk and fighting all the time with my grandmother. (laughs) But um, that was like normal. So I didn't know it was as dysfunctional until I um, started to see how other healthier dynamics operate. And then I was like, oh, (laughs) Like, you can have a conversation without screaming at each other. That's novel.
0: (laughs) So um, when your mom got diagnosed, obviously you knew your, sorry, did your grandfather have Huntington's? Yeah. And then your mom got diagnosed. Uh, What did that feel like for you? And did you realize that this may be a possible outcome for your
1: life? That's the time when I really it really hit me because I, when my grandfather was sick during the later stages. So as uh, my teens went on, my grandfather went into long-term care and then I started to take care of him. So as early as 17, I was in um, the long-term care home and I was spending like almost every day with him and just like lighting. He was a smoker at the time. So I was lighting his cigarettes, making sure that he was good. We used to like laugh and joke and that lasted for about seven years before he eventually died. And then my mom got diagnosed um, just before he died. And when she got diagnosed, I was like, oh, crap. Like, now now it hits me. Like, now the genetic component like became really real to me. And I started to go into a panic and a little bit of a downward spiral with that. And also, I kind of knew what I was in for. Um, having watched my grandfather go through what he went through and what happened to my family dynamics. And um, I was like, oh, we're gearing up for this. (laughs) And so that was like, a really big pivotal point in my life, because it kind of set me, it set me off into that space where I started to do or pursue healing work for myself.
0: And uh, how did that, Or when did uh, you start with the yoga?
1: I started with yoga um, in 2009. So that was after um, a car accident. So shortly after that, after my mom got diagnosed, so I'm gonna wipe my nose, I'm getting a little leaky. Um, Shortly after that, uh, my mom um, got diagnosed and then I was in a car accident. So I was, I didn't have an aim in life at that point. Like I had nothing, I had no education. I dropped out of school um, and stuff like that. So I was just working three jobs and then on my way from one job to another, I was hit by a car. And then that kind of was the catalyst. I was like, couldn't move a lot for, about a year and a half. And then my aunt, one of my aunts invited me to a yoga class. And I was like, well, I've tried everything else. I'm going to try this thing called yoga. Um, And then that was, that was the beginning of like my new life, my new life, my new healing journey, who I've become. That was like the spark of it.
0: So um, how long did it take for you? I imagine it took you Probably got certified as an instructor after a couple of years.
1: A couple of years. So like after the first year of practicing, because I had achieved like so much freedom in my body that I hadn't had before, even like before the accident, because like I said, I didn't come from anywhere where I was an athlete or I was like, you know, I was like, I barely did anything. All I did was do a bunch of drugs and stay home and watch TV. Like that was my life. So when that happened. I started to do yoga and I started to get really in touch with my body. And then I was healing a lot of the physical ailments that that were kind of plaguing me and also receiving a lot of the mental benefits. Like my mood was better. I was better to get along with. Like it started to really start to change how I was interacting in the world. And I was like, I really want to help other people. I, it's all I want to do is like I want to help other people with this methodology. Um, and then I did my training in 2010 and uh, I did it in Mexico in a really cool place uh, called Yandara Yoga. And uh, it was wonderful. I mean, it was really hard because like I said, I didn't have a background where like I had any sort of like formal education. So I was coming in just from like personal practice and had to learn everything. Um, But it was one of the most worthwhile things that I did. And then when I came back, I kind of started teaching, I was renting space at my, at the time I had a martial arts instructor and he let me use his studio and rent his studio. And I started to teach on my own um, because nobody would hire you in the city. Like if you were a new teacher in that time, there was not enough studios. It wasn't like the way it was the last you know few years where they were everywhere. And then I was like, okay, well, if they're not gonna hire me or I can't get a job there, I'm just gonna rent space and teach because I need to use the skill.
0: It- it uh, makes sense to me why I always see so you training with uh, <clears throat> weapons or or experimenting experimenting with some ideas from martial arts. Is that when you sort of got that into your hand?
1: Yeah, I I I like training. I use clubs and I use mace to train um it really just soothes my psyche it helps me to relax it also helps me to feel um, empowered and strong i could run a lot of the energy like i said i have a history of depressiveness so usually i'm like grumpy or down and think really negatively so if i have a good training session all those nice chemicals that get made in my brain um, make me able to go out in public which i (laughs) i like to do now Do you
0: think that yoga would would help people with uh, neurological or movement disorders?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yoga is uh, and let's say like yoga is a big umbrella. So like what kind of yoga for who? Then we start to go into the nitty gritty of it. But yes, like if you have a neurological disease, you have something that's degenerative you definitely want something that's going to reduce your stress levels as well as keep and maintain your body as well as it could be because a lot of the things is maintaining what you already have because you have something that's working on like a constant decline. So if you can maintain what you have, it's much easier than trying to regain it once you lose it.
0: That makes sense. Um, So uh, what, how did you like, um, sorry, I'm going to rephrase my question. So I mentioned you were in an in instructor for quote unquote, normal people for a while, right? Yeah. And, yes. uh, and when did you connect a uh, Huntington's and yoga?
1: so for me, um, because I lived at risk for so long, like that was my game plan. Like I didn't know that I was going to test negative. So I was like, I need to keep whatever I have as long as I can have it, you know, before eventually making the decision whether to, you know, apply for maid or however you want to, you know, deal with your end of life stages. Right. you got to look at it from that longer haul. I, um, so I started picking up club L's, um, which are those like bat like objects that you see me like swinging and moving, because um, I was really drawn to that because it combines hit training, strength training and yoga and meditation into one, which hits a lot of areas of the brain. So my interest in Club L's was sparked from trying to prevent my own potential illness, you know, before again, again, I wasn't, um, I didn't know my status at that time. Um, And then I, I wanted to help other people. And I was like, if you're going to, if you're going to participate in an activity, you might as well hit as many brain regions as you can, like more bang for your buck, instead of like splitting your training into all these different things. If in an hour and a half or hour practice, you can hit all those things in your brain and keep it in a good state. I was like, this is what I want to learn. This is what I want to do. And then I started to um, volunteer a lot. So I started volunteering um, before I got tested. And that was really interesting. It was hard. It was hard talking to new people about it because in my family, we didn't talk about it. Like no one said to me, like what my grandfather had. No one, I didn't even know the word Huntington's disease until like way later on. Like no one even said, they just said none new was sick. And he does that. Sometimes he'll pull your hair. You know, sometimes he'll do that. Sometimes he'll stumble sometimes, you know, and a lot of times it was really hard because like, I didn't, no one ever told me. And then there was other people in my family that were sick as well. And no one also ever talked about that. We just saw like people get sick and die. And then what happened to that family unit and other people get sick and die. And what happened in there? And no one really said like, um, this runs in the family and, um, you know, and no one was really connected to the Huntington <coughs> society. So I kind of was like, I need to get connected to somebody because I can't handle this on my own. Especially when my mom was sick, I was like, i I'm losing my mind here. So then I got connected to the society and then I started to do work in the community because I had like that in where I was like, sure, I can volunteer. I started just volunteering at the runs um, and then from the run volunteer, I would lead the warm ups at the runs. And then from that, I became the volunteer coordinator And then from that, I started to um, offer my services. I started saying, like, can I present yoga as therapy at the conference? I started to pitch them. You know, can I talk about these things that I think are very beneficial for the community? Can you let me have a platform? And then they started to bring me to the conferences. And that went really well. It was well received. And then I started working with the HDYO, which is the Huntington's Disease Youth Organization. And they're international and they deal with youth. And I started to become a camp counselor and a mentor for YPAD, which is the young people affected by HD, where you have a mentee and I get to like coach them. And we actually got along really well, me and my mentee. And and then I started to kind of do more stuff around the yoga work and really trying to expose that. Because the sentiment at the time was like, it's genetic, there's nothing you can do right? Like it's this, it's, there's nothing you can do like hands up in the air. Like we're waiting for, and there was no, no meds. There was no research at that time. Like very little was happening. And I was like, well, if you could use exercise and lifestyle, if you could use it at least to maintain what you have, like if we could take all the people that are at risk, that have like a million thoughts a day about what's going to happen to them, because it's really tough being at risk. It's just like a bunch of question marks. You don't know what kind of decisions to make sometimes like you're making them all out of fear or you're, you're pretending that you don't worrying about it, but inside you're worrying. And I was like, all that worrying is going to cause other problems, you know, besides Huntington's disease. If you're chronically stressed, you're going to have a lot of other problems. So can we, can we work with the mind and the body in a way to calm some of that stress and then to maintain the mobility, the physical strength, the health for as long as we can maintain it. And really, that was my goal. That was my message. Do what you can, keep what you have for as long as you can.
0: Um, in your experience, I know, um, you. I know, obviously, with neurological disorders, people decline, and then work uh, through yoga or whatever, you're trying to um, get that level off or whatever. Have, have you ever seen anyone get better or recover some some uh, things they've lost?
1: Not in this context because I didn't have enough time like it wasn't like I had a study where I took a group and I could track them it's like all these one-offs like a presentation here classes here so nothing that I was able to do that was consistent with like the same people in order to do that. I once asked one of the researchers, I'm like, what will it take to fund something like this? And because, you know, long, long, I think they call it longitudinal studies, the longer term studies are a little harder because they can't factor in all the different um, lifestyle factors and things to measure. And so I never had the opportunity to actually like test it with the same group, let's say for six months to a year and then have them do their neurological testing. So all I can do is relay the messages in the time that I'm given. So if I get given a platform, like you could talk here for 45 minutes and do a practice, then I expose them to a practice and I talk about them and then they go off to their world and hopefully incorporate it or, you know, do something else along the lines.
0: Never, never mind the cost to actually doing a study like that. Yeah, I
1: don't know who would care and who would fund it, right? It's really like, as you probably experience is like, you know, who's going to, you know, I, I think you can get participants. It's more like how do you structure it to make it so that you can actually get the, you can actually measure it in a way that makes sense.
0: I just Not my of, wheelhouse. <laughs> I just thought of an idea. We have to get a few people together from different communities, like yourself and some people I know in Parkinson's, MS, whatever, and just form a collective and go pitch some rich billionaire. Let's do it.
1: You <laughs> tell me when. I'll put my lipstick on. We'll go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but uh, as I can see, um, so when did you find out about? Uh, when did you get diagnosed and find out that you didn't have Huntington's?
1: Um, I went for my. I got my results in. Oh gosh, what year is it now? I think it was twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen, I got my results. Twenty fifteen, I did the test. I had to. My mom, um, as she started to get worse, I just couldn't. I couldn't open. Like bas- basically, how it works with Huntington's. I'm not sure if it's the same when you're dealing with the ataxia process, but my results had to sit in an envelope for a year because my mom was still at home and I was still her primary caregiver and I could not handle um, both things. So until I put her into long-term care, I was just like, I can't know this because I didn't know which way it was going to go. I had suspected it was going to go the other way. I was pretty sure of it actually, um, but then it didn't. And so that was uh, an interesting process to, yeah, it took me like a year after getting my negative diagnosis to really, that it really sunk in.
0: man. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that feel for you? Like it must be in a relief and in some
1: capacity. Yeah, but it's weird because like not right away, like it was like in the room when somebody hands you a pe- piece of paper, like, um, I wrote about this process in a book once. Um, and, uh, I was just like in shock. I had my two support people beside me. And I was just like, could you read that again? I was <laughs> just like, you do not have, I was like, could you just read it one more time? <laughs> Cause like, I couldn't, I was like, there was no, I had kind of zero hope that I was gonna test negative. And I tested negative. And then I, I'm sorry to cry about this, but, and then I was like, I don't, I don't have a plan now. Like my, all my plans were, that one path and I didn't have another path. And I was like, okay. And then that year, anytime I would have a Twitch or I'd forget something and when the thought was like, oh, it's starting, I would whip out the paper that says, you do not have Huntington's disease. And it was like going back and forth and retraining all of those, I guess, triggers that something was happening to me, but it's not that. Maybe you're just, you know, chronically stressed or tired or whatever, but it's not that. So I really, it was a relief, um, but also like not as, I don't know, like not as happy as I guess outside people would assume I would be. It's not that I'm not happy about it. It's that my mom's still sick. My family's still at risk. People I know and love are sick. Um, it's, I'm still there. It's still there. I'm not free of it. It's not like, yay, Scott free. It's like, no, more people are getting sick and I end up taking care of a lot of people. But it gives me more time to do that, I think. So that's the plus.
0: Uh, I, I have a question uh, about, about yoga. So I know it's a bit old school way of thinking about it, but people like my grandma say would, would say that it's only for females. Do you Mm -hmm. have a lot of men in your class or do you find that men are uh, like uh, a little shy to go into yoga?
1: Um, I do have men in my class. um, And I do think that is also true that men are shy to do yoga. But the funnier part of that is that (laughs) yoga was really only taught to women in the last like 100, 200 years. Like we were kept out of it. Like it wasn't it was it wasn't the way it is now where a lot of uh, women are leading in the field. Um, it was usually like your guru was a, a male and he taught who he wanted to teach, and there was a very small group of females able to really participate in that. Um, so, yes, um, and I think the differentiation is, um depending on the type of the type of yoga, it's not for everybody. Like you don't feel comfortable in that setting. Like right. a lot of people don't feel comfortable in a studio. They don't want to walk into this place and, you know, everybody looks like, you know, the same way or they feel like they're out of place or if they're inflexible, they feel like I don't want to go there because it'll be embarrassing if I can't keep up or, you know, things like that. But I don't I don't teach anymore really in those environments. I teach sometimes there, but I work with a lot of people who have mobility issues and pain issues. So they usually come and see me in semi-private groups or privately. And I have a few long like uh, male clients that have been my clients for a really long time and they don't really have that they just know that they can run now they can box now they can, they can, they can, they can they use it as a way to uh, keep themselves well and do the other activities that they love
0: um, so what would you, your advice be for someone who is stuck in pain or is struggling through their disability
1: oh don't suffer alone. Like if you're isolating yourself because you're in pain and you feel that nobody understands or nobody's able to help you or that you're a burden, because this is things that people tell themselves, you know, and may, it might be accurate depending on who's surrounding them. Maybe you're surrounded by a bunch of a-holes. I don't know. But um, if you can get connected to um, people who are compassionate, there's lots of them: people in support groups, people, um, social workers. I would say get connected get somebody that's kind of your, like, that can kind of bring you um, to the next place, Um, especially with pain, because pain is universal. We all experience it, but we all experience it very subjectively. And um, if you do any research into chronic pain, you'll start to see that certain people have predispositions. Like, so I ended up in chronic pain because of my history with depression. And I only realized that after my third yoga training, when I started to become a therapist, where I I was studying, like part of my um, practicum was working in a pain clinic. And I also had pain. And I started to look at the work of Lorimer Mosley. He does a lot of work with pain in the brain. And as soon as I started to realize that pain is a product of your brain and not necessarily indicative of the tissue damage and that there were predispositions to it. And that there's somewhat hope in rewiring that it was like the first time I really was like, I might be able to be free of this, like, f- like free of it, like not just managing it free of it. And it took me a while, but after like eight to 10 years, I've uh, fixed my neck and back pain. I mean, I still have flare ups now and again, but I'm not in pain every day, all day. It's not making me miserable. Um, and I also connected to people. So I I, I went to people for help and Even when that help didn't maybe work long-term, it was like a stepping stone for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Because whether it's a neurological disease or an illness, if you're going through it alone, you're going to have a worse time. You're gonna have a worse time because the human mind is not set up um, with a positive bias. It's set up with a negative bias. So whatever your inner dialogue that's running, it's probably not saying nice things. And unless you have someone to mirror that to you or to like show you another way or to kind of lead by example, um, you don't know that you're like thinking um, erroneously, you don't have that, you don't have that bounce off point where I can say something to you, Mark, and you'd be like, "Mm, are you sure? You're not terrible at everything, and but meanwhile, in your head is like you're a loser. You should quit. You're never going to be smart enough. Like who are you? Like those are things that most people live with, or you know, it's not curable. So why try to do anything, right? These really kind of hopeless um, situations where somebody you meet might be able to go. Well, we also meet and we do walks, and that's what we can do. And we talk and we hang out and we have coffee. We do normal people activities quote-unquote normal people activities still with a disability like you're not you're not cursed you're not cursed to be alone the whole time
0: so um last thing here do you have anything that you're working on that you want to plug
1: that I want to plug actually yeah I'm going to be well for all the people that are watching that are involved with the National Ataxia Foundation we have a chair yoga and mobility class coming up on December 9th the NAF will send out the emails if you're not already on the list I'll make sure to post it in the groups that we're in the hope for ataxia and things like that but we've been doing for this year we've done three classes already and we've had over 200 people on these calls doing chair yoga with me from all around the world that are affected by ataxia. So um, I'll plug that and I'll just say, if you want more resources on chair yoga, um, you can contact me cause I'm building a little bit of a chair yoga and mobility membership site with weekly classes um, for varied levels. Um, and that should be coming up in January. But um, yeah, I'm really, I'm super proud of that because I wasn't sure how um, it was gonna get received Um, and it's been just such a warm, welcoming and people are loving it. And then the NAF posted on their YouTube. So you can find all the recordings on YouTube. Um, I have lots of material with either the HDYO, which is the Huntington's disease youth organization on their YouTube. We have 12 (coughs) videos. You're welcome. Oh, it's okay. Um, yeah. Um, I have videos there that are all for free, all the stuff that's up and, um, yeah, I'm just working on expanding the chair yoga and mobility because I think that that is going to help a lot of people globally. Um, and that's my goal with it.
0: I just thought of one one last question. So how does it feel, or how did it feel, or how does it feel knowing that, um, you found the thing you're supposed to do?
1: (laughs) Um, it feels good. Yeah, it feels good. It feels like there's a purpose always to something that I'm doing. So, you know, a lot of the times people, a lot of people I know, they don't love going to work. They don't like going to work. Um, I don't like the business of yoga. That's not my jam. I hate marketing. I hate promoting. I hate, I hate doing the business accounting. I hate it. But when I get to teach, I love it. I get to walk into a room Everybody's happy to see me. (laughs) Everybody thanks me profusely before and after class. Um, And I know that I'm helping them do more things. Like most of my clientele are either injured or older adults. And they're so grateful. And I'm so grateful that it's just, it's a joy to do what I do.
0: Sounds good. Yeah, feels good. (laughs) On on that note, um, I'm going to have to uh, shut down this episode. And uh, thanks, Natalie, for joining us. It was a really pleasure. Thanks,
1: Natalie. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, And keep up. I love this podcast, so keep up the great work.
0: Okay, great. Thanks. Have a good day. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, email me using my email address in the description below.